0: Hello and welcome to Death Note, the horror movie podcast. I'm Rob Saunders and in this podcast I talk to various funny and interesting people about horror films. Simple. (laughs) In this episode I talk to comedian Alistair Beckett King about the classic supernatural thriller Don't Look Now. Alistair Beckett King is a brilliant stand-up comedian, I seriously recommend hunting his stuff out. You can watch his show, The Alistair Beckett King Mysteries, on Next Up Comedy, and he's been making some amazing sketches that you can see on Twitter and all the other usual social media places. I'll put links in the description so you can go and follow him and watch all that stuff. I seriously recommend it. They're all very, very good. Alistair also does a podcast with James Shakeshaft called men L-O-R-E, men, about local legends and folklore, which I'll also link in the description. That sounds great as well. I really enjoyed recording this episode. We do a pretty deep dive into Don't Look Now. It's a it's a good one. We talk about why it works as a quite an unsettling horror film and what makes it such a classic. Yeah, thank you again for listening and uh, enjoy the podcast. Cool. Well, my I always start by
1: asking, "Are you a horror film fan? Are you a fan of horror films and horror in general?" I like horror, but I I don't think I identify as a horror film fan. Probably, um, I'm 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 really into films, but I don't think I'm a film buff. In that. Um, I don't know if it is, maybe it's a slightly masculine thing of of knowing absolutely everything about all the films and having a, a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of it. And I, and I find with horror fans, it tends to be, um, oh yes, well you realise on the original release of Cannibal Corpse, um, the <laughs> corpses weren't really cannibals. I don't know, I do not seen it. But you, you know what I mean? I don't have that, um, I must know all of the films, I must know everything about this impulse in me. Um which is maybe the only way in which I'm not an archetypal nerd. Uh, that and I can't do maths. Um, so I tick all the other boxes. So yes, I like horror, but I think uh, my tastes probably run to the uh, to the ghost story and the gothic more than uh the the slasher movie or the um I don't know. I get too scared. I'm too easily sc- uh, I'm too easily scared I think. Um but jump scares don't I don't I don't sit they don't sit that right with me so I prefer things that are sort of very eerie and unsettling um the so the, the gothic structure of just gradually building to something horrible at the end of the film <laughs> yeah, even yeah. though even though what it's going to be is pretty obvious all the way yeah, through yeah. that's kind of what I like <laughs>
0: always fine but I think the um like the sort of more gothic and like ghost stories scarier generally than the uh than the sort of slasher gore sort of movies I think um
1: yeah but I, I, yeah, and I was thinking about when when you asked me, I was thinking about the horror films that I really like, and uh, you've covered quite a few of them, which is probably a sign that I have great taste in horror <laughs> film. But I probably would have gone with something like um, the first Alien film or uh, Ring, maybe if I was trying to think of something that's really scary that I also think is a very good film. Yeah, I, I, the, with the films I went through in my head, I I, I kept asking myself is. Is this film really horror? Including the film that I uh, decided to to talk about, um, which I won't spoil if it, if you're keeping it for, for a big reveal. <laughs> oh,
0: that's, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. So we can talk about uh, uh, "Don't Look Now" as your choice. Um,
1: My choice was "Don't Look Now," and as I watched it, um, I thought to myself, "Is this really a horror film?" But if it isn't, I don't know what kind of film it is. Yeah, it's not. It's not a very scary film. I think that's probably true.
0: But there is definitely like a sense of sort of dread throughout the whole film, isn't there? I would say it definitely is a horror film, but it's not like a scary film.
1: It's not a scary movie. It is a horror film because it's not a psychological thriller because nothing thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> not to criticize the film, yeah. nothing thrilling happens at any point. <laughs> yeah. in it. I I watched it with my partner, Rachel, and she doesn't like it. And it's you know how it is when you're watching a film and she's always sort of laughing up her sleeve at Donald Sutherland's um, bottom most of the time. <laughs> it's in the film quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, it, although watching it back, it's not. I remember it being a bigger part of the film than it is. <laughs> That's where you just Darnell's have to remember what you want, I think, from a film. So, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. part of the edited highlights. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, on the subject of Alien, I just I, we just watched that together for the first time. Um, and um, the, I think the best bit in it is... Um, the, the uh the, the all the, the alien stuff is so big and memorable and the chestburster scene is so terrifying and visceral everybody forgets ian holmes the 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 android sorry spoiler <laughs> everyone forgets the massive twist which is not just that this person who you thought is a human is an android but also he's been charged with the company with basically putting everybody's lives in danger and and that's the whole crux of the story and it and the chestburster is just a visual effect. Yeah. You.
0: I think the my favorite scene in Alien is the is the scene when um Ash tries to kill kill uh, Ripley. Ash, thank you. Yes. That yeah.
1: th- that is the scariest and most in- narratively important scene by comparison with the chestburster, but the is so such a good effect. Everyone forgets it. So you, so if even though you've had the movie totally spoiled for you by the time you see it for the first time, nobody mentions <laughs> yeah, the yeah. whole actual plot of the yeah. film. I think the um, way he chooses to try to kill her is like he doesn't he like
0: roll up a magazine and try to, try to shove it down her throat yeah, or something. It's Such a strange, such sort of, a, yeah,
1: a very alien, very robot, yeah. very android way of. Mm. Well, that seems. I'll just I'll simply yeah. choke her. Yeah. Uh, it's horrible um, and uh, and unconventional. And uh, don't look now is not as scary, and there isn't an alien in it. Um, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it is a very unconventional. It's a very unconventional as a film, and it's very unconventional as a horror film. So I'm, I'm worried that your listeners might um, might be like, "Oh, it's not horror. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This guy doesn't know horror." I think, and uh, I admitted that at, at the start of the
0: episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you covered your back. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think. Don't look now. it's sort it is regarded as like a horror film, isn't it? I think it's. If you see like lists of scariest films, it's on there generally, but only yeah. for that last scene, really isn't it not, yeah, yeah.
1: what well, because in terms of actual horror the the ho- I, I get m- it's a standard horror device, isn't it that um that the main character is experiencing some kind of trauma or grief, you know so they've lost a family member or maybe they're going through puberty or something is happening to them or they've just come back from a war. Uh, or they're divorced, or, or some some they're processing something when they encounter the unknown horror. Um, but really, as viewers of those films, we're not that bothered about <laughs> the thing that happened. We're mainly interested in the haunted house or whatever it is. Now, Alien's unusual in that we have no idea what Ripley's backstory is. It is purely, these are just working-class people in space. What happens to them? Horrible things, because that's that's what happens to... Working class people in difficult situations, um, whereas in don't look now, Don't Look Now is genuinely interested in the in the genuine horror and trauma of him losing Christine at the start of the film. So his daughter dies. Spoiler spoilers for the first five minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are we allowed to do spoilers? <laughs> yeah, I think we'll go under
0: the assumption that it's, people have seen it. Um, I mean, what uh, is, yeah. it? is it? Fifty years old? Yeah, now? I think that's I like yeah, that's fine to spoil a film that's been out since 1973. Yeah. You should have
1: looked before now, if you, <laughs> if you wanted to know what happens in it. Um, it's ve- it's very good, but but it, it's um, it's not the easiest film to watch. Um, and it does it does play like it's it is like watching a European art house film rather than a a Hollywood film. Um, or should I say an Australian Nicholas Rogues Australian? Isn't he? I think he's British, isn't he? I think he is British. I could be wrong. Don't yeah. know. Don't know. Yeah. Edit that bit out where I don't check where <laughs> Rogues from. Um, I'm probably thinking of walkabout. That's probably why I think he's. Asking. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but but it is genuinely interested in the initial trauma, and that's entirely what the whole film is about, rather than it being just the the premise that this person's in a vulnerable state, and so now they meet this other thing. There isn't an other thing, really.
0: Yeah, that's the strangest thing I think about. Don't look now is that but again? It's it's set up that there's like. It, like I said, there's just a sense of dread throughout the whole film. Um, yeah, but also that the strangeness of like it being about premonitions and sort of portents, like like yeah. Donald Sutherland and is it, having these sort of visions. Even at the start, when the when the daughter dies, there's sort of little hints that he can sort of he knows something's going to happen. Almost isn't there? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think sort of one of Rogue's things is that time doesn't exist, which is I, I think. That's what the scientists say, isn't it? It's just the, yeah. the way we experience it. And that's sort of the way things work in his film. And so, you know, so scenes are linked by a character turning to look at something. And then only when you get to the next shot, do you realize, oh, we've actually moved into a different scene now. That's really unsettling mm. um, editing. And, um, you know, the, the extremely famous uh, sex scene is is intercut with the sort of the aftermath of sex where they, they're getting dressed afterwards. So they're having sex and getting dressed to go out afterwards which is weirdly uncomfortable and alienating especially yeah. for what's what is a fairly explicit sex scene um it's uh you're not invited to sort of relax and get into it and enjoy watching beautiful people having sex because it, because of the way time and yeah because of the way time is constantly intersecting in its on itself for, for for John, I uh, thought Donald Sutherland's character. Yeah,
0: I think with that sex scene, it's so interesting because again, most like you know, typically horror films, there would be a, like a sex scene in it, and it's there just to purely like for titillation purposes. But I don't think yes the sex scene in uh, Don't Look Now is particularly that. I don't think it's like it's almost more realistic, I, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's, it is. Uh, uh, I think. Um, it, uh, I, well, I mean, I've never seen Donald Sutherland have sex, so I haven't got uh, <laughs> anything to measure it against. But I imagine it's similar to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I did look it up because the, the rumor about it was that they were that um, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie were actually having mm. sex, and that that's why it was so passionate. Um, I've, and so I sort of had a check, and just there's just an interview where Donald Sutherland says, "No, it wasn't romantic at all. They were recording with um, unblimped Ariflex cameras." which means that the the you know the sound of the motor in the camera is like so it's just Nicholas Rogan the the uh, the camera operator just very noisily yeah, yeah, the yeah, around yeah. and shouting instructions which doesn't sound that sexy
0: yeah i can't imagine that would be the most uh, romantic of experiences
1: yeah, someone with a lawnmower in the next room.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, you know, no to kick shame anyone, you know, you know, whatever you're into. Well, yeah, whatever but... you're into.
1: It's, it's just that, as, as a, as, in terms of BPM, that's far faster than <laughs> I get. <with> countenance. <laughs> I want something a little more laid back. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> no, it is interesting. I, I read, wasn't it, um, was it Warren Beatty was with uh, Julie Christie at the time and he was adamant that he wanted to cut that scene from the film, I think. Really? Like, yeah, because I could so, cuz hmm. it was so like uh, passionate and realistic and you know, he was uh, and I think he was one of the people that was adamant that like it wasn't unsimulated
1: sex that they were actually having sex in that scene. Really? Yeah, I think or so. We, I could be wrong. We'll but... never know. Mm-hmm. Unless we had the psychic powers of, the, uh, <laughs> of John Baxter. And, and this, the watching it again, uh it's a film that is better on second viewing, I think. Mm. And um and and which is true of quite a lot of um films where the narrative drive is not particularly strong. So it's easy to get bored if if you if you're looking for a film that uh in which you're constantly asking what's going to happen next. It's not always raising those questions because it's not because what's going the because, because the important thing that's going to happen in the film happens at the start of the film. Um and because because of the nature of uh, John's psychic powers, the other important thing that's going to happen at the end of the film happens in the middle of the film. So it's it's completely out of order uh, in, in terms of pacing um, but 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 that gives you the you know incredibly eerie moments and, and scene, you know sequences that I can't think of another film another ghost story, which is you know the when John is uh, see, his wife goes back home to England because their their surviving child is ill, uh, and then John sees him her, her on a boat in Venice even though he knows that's impossible because she just left. And so he spends half of the film trying to track her down, thinking that she's in Venice. That's weird. That's very yeah, yeah, odd. Yeah. It is weird. And obviously, like, again,
0: going with uh, people listening to this have seen it, it turns out to be like a, a vision of his own funeral, basically, isn't it? Yeah, what well, an yeah. ending, yes. Yeah, what yeah. he
1: actually sees is, I was being coy, what he's actually <laughs> seeing is his own funeral procession down the yeah, Grand, Grand, just, Grand um, Canal in Venice, which is that I mean, and the, in terms of films that do that there's la Jeté, the chris marker film and 12 monkeys which is based on the chris marker film uh, it's not a it's not a stock device it's quite an it's it's rare even in the context of fantastic yeah. and with and, uh, 12 Catholic monkeys
0: stories. that's a film about time travel in general isn't it whereas you know, yes yeah.
1: which i which arguably this uh, and so is la jette and arguably this is a film about time travel even though it's it's only in his mind that Baxter has the ability to travel through time. And he doesn't know it. There's mm-hmm. a lovely line which i missed first time around where, um, Laura. And Laura is one of those names that's fine in an English accent. But in an American or Canadian, in Donald Sutherland's case, accent. <laughs> Laura, Laura, Laura. <laughs> the open vowel makes it like <laughs> Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. Something about Laura in an American accent suggests some kind of supernatural guys on. <laughs> Laura, Laura. Um she faints, and then later on says, isn't it strange that when I fell over in that restaurant, I didn't hurt myself at all? And he says something like, well, the body reacts far quicker than the mind can react. And you go like, yeah, he... he so he... Which is correct, but he doesn't realise that that's how... That's what he's doing with the with the intuitions and the premonitions he's having. He never acknowledges his... Or in any way engages with his ability. If you know, anything, he, he is highly sceptical, well, isn't he, in the whole film? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he completely rejects it. It's not... um uh, it's not a Stephen King story where some where someone gains a power and then sort of it it becomes a plot element where they have to learn to harness it and use it in some way. It's not it's not The Shining at all. It's um, it's never something he consciously engages with. So we we're more aware of it than he is.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one of the things about Don't Look Now is the last like the ending of that film is so famous, like more famous than the. Uh... And the rest of the film, I think, to a lot of people, I think too a lot fam- of people, yeah, too famous, yeah, yeah, and it's again to its own detriment, maybe that that shock reveal at the end is sort of because most people yes. know that it's so, like similar Absolutely. with like Planet of the yeah. Apes, for example, where everyone knows the ending of Planet of the Apes.
1: Yeah, it, it is one of those, or Soylent Green, or mm. um, uh, other films that you probably haven't seen but do know the ending of. <laughs> yeah. um Citizen Kane, even though the the one for Citizen Kane doesn't make as much sense out of context, but anyway. <laughs> um yeah you know you're absolutely right and um uh, well i i uh, between watches I read the short story that it's based on the Daphne de Bar- Maurier the Daphne de Maurier short story and uh, it's remarkable because it's in terms of short film ad- short story adaptations to film, it's one of the most faithful adaptations I've read. Um, like it's sort of beat for beat quite similar they uh it, it starts later, so it starts at the restaurant scene where they meet the the spooky old ladies, uh, <laughs> so it skips over the death of Christine, the short story, and it doesn't have a sex scene in it <laughs> um but apart from that it's the same mm. things happen in the same order and in almost exactly the same way um but the ending is uh it's sort of weirdly comical and it, it kind of There is a a crossover, isn't there, between horror and comedy, between the reaction to laugh and the reaction to be horrified, or maybe to do both. Mm, Definitely, yeah. Like, hold on, I think I've got the book here. Let me um, edit this bit out while I look for it. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Should have uh, put a little marker (laughs) in it. It's a very very long short story. Yeah, so I'll just read the opening passage of it. Then he heard the footsteps on the landing outside and the hammering on the door and a barking dog And not one voice, but several voices shouting, open up, police. The creature, that is, of course, the the red hooded, uh, uh, well, I don't know what the uh, correct term would be. In the credits of the film, the character was just called Dwarf. Mm -hmm. Um, The the, the murderous, uh, small figure that resembles Christine. The creature fumbled in her sleeve, drawing a knife. And as she threw it at him with hideous strength, piercing his throat, he stumbled and fell. The sticky mess covering his protecting hands. And he saw the vaporetto with Laura and two sisters streaming down the Grand Canal. Not today, not tomorrow, but the day after that. And he knew why they were there together and for what sad purpose they had come. The creature was gibbering in its corner. The hammering and the voices and the barking dog grew fainter. And, oh God, he thought, what a bloody silly way to die. Which is a weird way (laughs) to end a short story, isn't it? Like, it kind of is a joke on Mm. the character. Like, it is a silly way to die. Like, what... And 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 in the film and in the story there's I remember my memory of it was that he thinks he's following Christine but he never actually thinks he's following his daughter he never thinks it's the ghost of his daughter he never says i you know it's christine he's speaking in italian so he knows he's not speaking to his daughter he's he's behaving madly it is stupid behavior it's silly
0: yeah
1: yeah but that's it's uh, yeah. terrifying at the same time it is yeah. it it it's easier to laugh at it than it is to um to think about the reality of what happens in the story.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, I've I've never read the short story, but um, again, you reading that, I I think I will now
1: because that seems um, it seems that that ending just it's it's the same ending. It's the same ending, and and beat for beat, you'll notice it's very similar to the film. I, I mean, I think Daphne du Maurier is a really really very good and very interesting writer. A, a very cinematic writer, because so many of her stories have been made into really important films, while she is not really considered a really important writer.
0: Yeah, I'm not familiar, but I know Rebecca are the Hitchcock films and adaptations. Uh, yes, that right? yeah. and, um, and The
1: Birds, uh, so oh, several okay, Hitchcock yeah, yeah. films. And um, well, I, I didn't actually see the Rachel Weiss, My Cousin Rachel film, but the book no, is right. very good no idea about the film (laughs) but yes but so so she's her cinematic impact is significant even though in literature i think it's it's all a bit gothic and a bit sort of maybe it's maybe it's for women you know it's not the (laughs) the stories are not not held in the same esteem even though there's some things like the um i think it's called the blue spectacles um one of her short stories uh about uh the blue lenses i'm sorry Uh, somebody who's who's in hospital and uh, uh, recovering from an illness and gains a a special pair of glasses where when they put them on they're able to see that all of the uh, nurses and the people treating them have animal heads, which is absolutely terrifying and sort of it allows them to sort of see through to the to the reality of the person.
0: It's almost like um, the John Carpenter film *They Live*, isn't it?
1: It's sort of yeah, yeah, it it is, Uh, Mm -hmm. and um, and the same idea, the same the sort of the. The comical horror of a, a, an animal-headed human appears in Jamaica Inn, which is another another of her mm. stories. Um, uh, without uh, it, I can't say where, without doing spoilers for that as well. <laughs> but 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 a but a drawing of uh, of humans as if they were animals is is a moment of sort of visceral horror in that story. I think she's a really great writer and a sort of a, a master of sort of late late Gothic, I suppose, because she doesn't mm. belong to that. She's much more recent than the Gothic victorian writers but she totally gets it the, the, so the slow creeping horror and then the reveal is something which is on the face of it ludicrous but at the same time terrifying
0: yeah and i think um again I, i've not i've never read any of her um of her stuff but um like going on uh don't look now is that i think a lot of films and stories similar that payoff probably wouldn't work because yeah. like you said it's quite silly and funny But it earns it earns the scariness.
1: I think that Mm. film, especially one of the interesting things, is that the uh, the short story is entirely from John Baxter's point of view. Um, So it doesn't, uh, and so he's sort of going, "Oh, I wish my wife would get over the death of our child, so we could have a fun time." Um, And so he's not a particularly sympathetic character uh, in that respect. While the film, with you know, screen written by two men and directed by a man the film for the first half of it i would be hard pressed to say whether um john or laura are the main character because we see plenty of scenes from laura's point of view we 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 have knowledge of things that laura knows that john doesn't know it's it's not a highly focused one character's perspective mm. film even to the extent that when she leaves venice we see her boat leaving from the harbor and then we cut to her boat and we see the har- you know, we see the harbour, whatever it is. We see Venice receding in the distance from her point of view. But at that point, there's a switch, and then we're completely with John from that point onwards for most of the rest yeah. of the film. I th- well, I think that that sort of
0: first half of it is about the, the sort of tension between them, isn't it, really? It's about yes. her, like, her belief that the psychics, what they've told her and her sort of getting out, like, how she... How she changes after she meets the uh,
1: two like old psychic ladies in the restaurant. And we hardly mentioned the two yeah. crazy old psychic ladies <laughs> who are obviously the uh, and maybe they if the uh, if the 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 creature with the switchblade is the chest burster. The old ladies are ash <laughs> turning out to be an android. In terms yeah. of what is actually scary and good about the mm. film that you don't nobody tells you about. Yeah. Definitely. And although now watching it now that I'm older, it's like, they're not that old. <laughs> <The> big, <laughs> grotesquely old women. It's like, they're not that old. Well, I think
0: that about, like, 70s films anyway. So, like, I'm sure... how old? Do you know how
1: old Donald Sutherland was in that film? I was looking at him thinking, yeah. yeah. This, and then I was thinking, I'm probably older now than yeah, yeah. Donald Sutherland is in this film, you know? Which a bit yeah. where she sort of says, you're putting on a little bit of weight. And I was like, yeah, I'm putting on a little bit of weight. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the fact... In my head, Don Sutherland is permanently older than me, yeah, but that's not yeah, how yeah. time works. No. In that film, he, I'm probably older than him.
0: Yeah, particularly in, like, 70s films, I think. There's something about, like, people in their 20s in 70s films yeah. that seem like they're, like, 55. Yeah, they're still
1: wearing <laughs> yeah. a coat from the Second World War. <laughs> yeah. The lights are always off. And, I mean, it, it would be weird to talk about the film without also talking about the fact that it is a weirdly shot film. Like, especially mm. the in a weird way it's quite alienating because it's it's shot on um sort of re- very grainy 70s film stock and let's be straight several of the scenes were obviously seriously underexposed and that <laughs> means that they're massively massively grainy like to the extent that this is something that another film might reshoot so <laughs> it doesn't give the impression and and some of the sound uh recording in fact i the i just watched the hd version available on youtube and i think they've cleaned up the sound because when i watched it previously there was an awful lot more clanking and banging in the background yeah i know there is like
0: i know the criterion put out like a sort of remaster of it so i'd imagine they probably did clean it up a bit yeah
1: 1994 george orwell criterion editing art so that you can hear what people are saying (laughs) outrageous (laughs) <laughs> yeah, amazing <laughs> that they did that, I'm absolutely yeah. right that they did that. But I remember watching it with very bad quality sound, mm. so it feels like you're watching a a, a low budget European uh, indie film, which you are, I think. Mm. But but the other thing that you forget is that the second half of the film, you know, once once uh, John is alone in Venice, all of that is shot perfectly. Um, for some reason, you know, it just mm. the, the, I don't know why. Um, uh, you know, the, the final sequence is uh, you know cuz previously we were, it's very grainy we're in obviously in real hotels and it sounds like we're just recording someone in a, in a large marble lined room very <laughs> echoey but then in the in you know leading up to uh the uh, the horror of the finale we're moving through strange uh, a sort of, sort of semi surreal landscape uh, at, at one point while they're lost in venice he, he points and says something like the real world's over there uh, and uh, and that is beautifully shot it's still on grainy 70s film stock so it still feels i don't know enough about uh italian horror films so but it it feels like we're in that area visually but the you know with the the smoke swirling on the floor as he runs through what might be sewers or uh cellars i don't know what they are but it looks great but your overall impression when you come away from it is like that was a film with a lot of really grainy Underexposed <laughs> yes
0: well i was i was uh, watching um a video on youtube it was an interview with um the cinematographer I think, and he was saying how it was a nightmare to film because lugging like camera equipment around Venice mm-hmm. is much harder than any other city because you've got to do it all <laughs> by boat and yeah, of
1: course, yeah and they only of shot it
0: in six weeks I think as well so it was really a lot of it was filmed on the fly basically yeah and it and yeah. it shows let's yeah, to be honest yeah. uh you can tell
1: you can tell that it's um it's not um it's unpolished in lots of ways mm. but uh paving the way for um found footage horror films maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's very insulting to a cinematographer to suggest that anyone could do that
0: it is it's is interesting that you were saying like you said you don't know much about italian horror films but it it came out around the time where a lot of italian films were a similar sort of Style to that, so like the mm. Jello films, I don't know if you know much about. Yeah, basically, sort of genre, I basically yeah. didn't
1: know how to pronounce it because I know it's the Italian <laughs> word for yellow, I didn't want really to <laughs> embarrass myself. So was I like had the same today.
0: conversation with Elf Lions and I recorded with her the other Gallo, day, giallo yeah. Gallo, Jallo, Gallo a Greek, a Greek drama yeah. at the start, <laughs> Gallo, I don't know. Yeah. but um, yeah, well, I think maybe because it is just in Italy, I it gave me and I watch a lot of those sort of films, I think it gave mm. me a very similar like feel to that, um. But yeah. Like the color, colour's is like a big part of it as well. Like Dario Argento uses color in a like a very specific way.
1: Yes, absolutely. Everything is a sort of uh, rusty red, except mm. for the red red yeah. of the of the red mac and the uh, and the blood, uh, which which has a fantastically not blood like color to <laughs> yeah.
0: it. Gloopy seventies horror films have yes. a very gloopy
1: blood. Yeah, very very <laughs> gloopy. It's got it's got a Noel's house party gunge <laughs> texture, <laughs> yeah. which I like a lot. Yeah. And it also made me think visually of um, because I think the production designer is Italian. I was watching the credits, and there's a, one person's name is Francesco Chinese. And it's like that is a confusing name. <laughs> I really don't know how to stereotype this guy, and I think he may have been the production designer. I can't remember. Apologies, or the art director, but um, but it put me in mind of uh, Gilliam's um, disastrous production of um, *The Adventures of Baron Munchausen*, mm. um, which was shot in Italy with uh, with uh, with. Uh, with a lot of Italian crew on the art side of it, and though it's got, it's not similar in any way, the the use of Italian architecture and uh, Italian uh, the, and Italian aesthetics, I guess, uh, and, and taste in the sort of uh, somewhat shabby, desaturated, sepia-toned art design. I, th- I, it feels there are bits where it's familiar.
0: Yeah but I, I think the especially in like the um, like sixties and like up to maybe like the mid eighties, the Italian like film industry was so um, they just churned films out. You know, from the yeah. westerns to then like the Jello and then the sort of like genre movies in general. They just used to churn films out, and I think that's why a lot of productions were in Italy as well because it was just yeah. the crews knew what they were doing because they were making you know. Some sort of gory horror movie every week,
1: yeah, yeah, and, this, uh, and the and the spaghetti westerns in mm. Italy and Spain, and I think Italian cinema was usually not to be generalised, but I think Italian cinema was quite frequently out on location, giving mm. it giving so using real spaces but compared to you know like German cinema started out building fantastic studio set pieces, and you know quite a lot of the classic British films are shot on Ealing or, or Pinewood whereas you know like french and italian cinema it, you're quite often you're just in the real place as yeah. they very obviously are in this film you know there I don't think anything's shot in a studio any at any point no, it never can't it, can't, yeah, yeah, it, can't it be, couldn't because, be cuz yeah. the sound quality would be better <laughs> 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 we wouldn't be able to able we would be able to hear nine italian waiters clanking pots and pans <laughs> in the background <laughs> if it had been shot on a sound stage
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about uh, Don't Look Now is that when it was released, it was in a, a double bill with The Wicker Man, wasn't it? That's uh... really yeah. So when I mean, it? it was first released in the UK, anyway, it was as a double bill. So the Which Don't Look Another Now was film the A you picture. Can't
1: watch. You, you yeah. can't watch if you because well you, you can't watch without someone having told you the ending of The Wicker Man. I mean yeah. the title and the poster tell you the ending <laughs> yeah. of The Wicker Man. Yeah, spoilers. There's a Wicker Man. <laughs> but says yeah, I think that's a quite an
0: interesting. Like double bill of films, I think. Yeah, uh, The Wicker Man and Don't Look Now. Yeah, the The, the Wicker Man was the B picture, and Don't Look Now was How the interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The Wicker uh, Man
1: is probably the 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 more entertaining of the two. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, although it probably the nudity in The Wicker Man feels a little bit more uh, exploitative. <laughs> yeah. um than in Don't Look Now. Yeah, uh, I, I I I wouldn't want to compare them really because they because they're they're strikingly different considering mm. they must have been produced within a year of each other if they were released together because i don't the wicker man feels like an mr james story but with a 1970s sensibility you know a, a, a witchcraft revival sex mm. magic vibe that mr yeah. james would never have put in one of his stories <laughs> yeah. a bit too out there I absolutely think. <laughs> i don't think there any not to i don't want to I don't want to go too far on MR James but I don't think there are any naked women in anything MR James has written. He doesn't seem to have been particularly interested. No. But um but it does have that feel whereas um I think yeah whereas I think this is more gothic yeah. in its stru- in its structure and unsettling and more of an art film it m- more of a the, the point of this film is is for you to be alienated sometimes and yes. and not you're not on the edge of your- like it breaks the rules of horror cinema it breaks the rules of cinema um, and because and this is all about i think the the way time overlaps like um i'm sure um listeners are aware of you know hitchcock talking about how suspense works in cinema if you see someone go on a bus trip and then at the end of the bus trip the bus explodes that's not cinema but if you tell the audience that there is a bomb on the bus then every twist every moment every moment where they might get off the bus is incredibly fraught with tension, even though you're actually watching the same thing. The audience just has different information. Whereas this film does not do that. Mm. Uh, Like um, the scene where he nearly falls from a, a a badly suspended sort of gantry thing in a, in a cathedral. And I Again, I don't want to stereotype about Italian productions, but I'm pretty confident it is as dangerous as it looks. I mean, it looked dangerous when he was climbing up there. I was my stomach was really turning a little bit. looks dangerous. Yeah. Um and um so you so we have the the normal sensible person's fear that you could fall off of a gantry that is suspended flimsily by mm. ropes but there is no shot of a fraying rope mm. there is no shot of a, a workman failing to tie something securely so the film never says watch out this gantry might fall he's just working and the thing that he's on falls and then it's concerned about the aftermath so it, which which the hit, you know the, the the standard suspense model wouldn't be so there's no warning that it's going to fall. It does fall. And then you've got like a four-minute sequence of Donald <laughs> Sutherland swinging about, roaring like a wounded bear. <laughs> oh! Oh! oh. As, as 12 Italian workmen try and haul him in. Poke him with he, a stick to hours. get him swinging, don't they? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a weird piñata. <laughs> yeah. as, the, as, the, as the zoom lens crashes into his, his but- buttocks. To make sure you, you saw them in his. Je- I'm pretty certain there is a stuntman with a padded buttocks in at least one shot, or at least or a natural gift in yeah, the yeah. seat area. Because I don't think that's Donald Sutherland, because you see him, you see him yeah, unclothed yeah. and another scene, <laughs> And I, I would recognize those cans. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's really not how that scene ought to work. Mm. And there's something nice about. And, and Rogue knows what he's doing. But there's something nice about watching a film that doesn't seem to know what the rules are supposed to be, because cause you get stuff from that. You don't get necessarily narrative satisfaction and everything tying up neatly and a constant, uh, you know, a Spielbergian sense of uh, the end of every scene, raising a question in order to draw you through the narrative. You don't necessarily get that stuff, but you do get something else, yeah, something more intangible.
0: Definitely. So yeah, I've never really thought about it, like like the sort of lack of suspense in it. Really, like like I keep saying that there I mean, is a sense of dread, but there's no like there's no suspense, is there? Like you like you said, there's no real.
1: Well, what what? Yeah, I like what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that we're fi- we, there's no there's nothing that we're, we're not substantially afraid of any particular thing happening, mm. but there is absolutely a sense of dread or the weight of grief yeah I, I i'm worried that i'm making the film sound awful <laughs> i'm just trying to point out the things that make it make it remarkable but some of those things are that it, from an arguably from a technical standpoint is not a well-made film it's not, they haven't done it properly yeah not following the rules you know
0: but that's the the point i think of these sort of films anyway is to not follow the rules right that's sort of what makes them interesting yeah, i
1: think so yes definitely
0: and I think, especially with um, horror in general, is that it's like very formulaic. Most horror, um, whereas this does not conform to a typical horror format. Really, even for a ghost yeah. story, it doesn't.
1: It has many of the themes. Mm. Certainly, it, you know, it takes you know, the, the, so there's there's trauma, and then there's uh, there's a you know a husband and wife, uh, you know, a, a young couple who have moved to a different place. You know, so you can if you want to tick off the tropes, they're there. Um. But but the way it plays out is is quite unconventional. I feel like I I do feel like I haven't given the the, the psychic old ladies enough enough, enough tension, whoa, enough, yeah. <laughs> enough audio screen time <laughs> as they are. Um, the performances they give are very unsettling, and yeah. uh, and I, I guess that part of the suspense of the story is are they running a scam? But the, it's not really that interested in in you know are the old hmm. ladies who are telling Christine uh, sorry I tell are telling Laura that Christine is there and talking to them do they want something are they cynical they out to get something as john thinks but it doesn't lean that heavily into that or you know there's the the marvelous italian policeman who um just who never looks particularly engaged in any particular <laughs> yeah, yeah. scene and we don't know if he's listening to john or if he suspects john they he's just looking out the window yeah. while he's talking yeah he's he's so distracted and so unpresent um, and then, and of course, then there's the fact that s- serial killings are occurring throughout the film in the background. But we're mainly interested in those because they get in the way of traffic. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, could you move the murder victim away? <laughs> I've got <to> a <laughs> gondola to get through yeah. here. It's it, it, everything is set up perfectly, but but but, uh, and all of the and many of the classic tropes are there. But the film isn't concerned with presenting them to you in the in the correct way.
0: Yeah, it's true. I think there's lots of little threads, isn't there? In In Don't Look Now, and yes. um, like I think a more traditional film, it would either just be about the serial killer in Venice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Whereas that's, that's just sort enough, of yeah, yeah. That's just a little bit in the film. But the, the, there's no bits where that you know they're flipping over a newspaper that says serial killer strikes again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just they're just not bothering to remind you that there's a serial killer quite a lot of the time.
0: But I guess that's how. How it would be in the real world, maybe, that you wouldn't if there was you know, if you lived in Venice while there was killings happening, it wouldn't be like the be all and end all around your world unless it happened to someone you knew. It it would just be Mm. you would be concerned about it, obviously, but it would be you'd still have to go to work, you'd still have to do your day to day things. It wouldn't
1: Yeah, yeah, real life doesn't do exposition Mm. as clearly as films do. And 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 the way Venice appears in the film, you know, it it, um, it's the off season, I think, so it's winter so it's it's cold which is not any any of us imagine when we think about italy or think about venice and which means it's virtually empty so there's no you know because venice is a city that exists for tourism and it doesn't have that many you know almost everything is centered around tourism uh and so you you're in a sort of weird unreal city that that has no reason to exist now mm. and uh, you know and so the lines like the real world's over there and um uh, and they're in a sort of liminal space. A sort of dream. Mm. It's a it's a, it's the perfect setting for a for an unsettling horror film.
0: I think especially a city like Venice, which when you see it in films, it's generally very romantic. And uh, yeah, and yeah, know, Venice looks like yeah.
1: total crap in this film. Yes, yeah. to, Venice looks awful. Really, cr- you know, we see the the dilapidated churches that he's trying to restore, which again is not that important, <laughs> but <laughs> but it, but that's his job. Um, and yeah, so we're in the crumbling back streets of Venice. So it's, it's nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, if you describe what the film's about, you told someone what it, what the story was, or even if you handed the script to, to a, a competent, sensible director, you get something quite different aesthetically mm. and structurally. And I'm glad that that didn't happen because, yeah, it's, that's what makes it distinctive.
0: Definitely. And I think that's what makes it so memorable and something that's sort of so, um, in the sort of I don't know the zeitgeist is the wrong word but like it's it's just so well known isn't it don't look now. just the, the yeah. yeah it's uh, just one of those films that people know
1: yeah yeah and and i and and i can see, uh, which can hurt it i think because if you if you come into it expecting it to be an absolutely perfect polished masterpiece of a film uh, with no uh no mistakes as it were then it's a bit of a disappointment because, like, oh, you know, if you if you go into it thinking it's going to be like Alien, you know, a meticulously designed and constructed film uh, where every single element is uh, is perfectly aligned, it's not it's not like that at all. No,
0: and it's not an easy watch as well. I think Don't Look Now. It's not a. It's whereas Alien, I think you can just sit and that's a thrill ride, pretty much, isn't it, Alien? Where yes it's yes, absolutely like it's you have to work to get the best out of Don't Look Now possibly.
1: Yeah, I mean I I Don't Look Now makes me feel yeah, it's got the feeling of um I don't know even even a sort of video game like element where you're sort of immersed in it mm. and uh I, but also it requires you to sort of do something to to move it forwards. You've got to be engaged and active in in making the connections. And because the film's not going to do it the no, yeah. film's not going to help. It's not going to do it for you. Yeah. Uh, but but pretty much the, the, the fact that at the end it repeats the it repeats the funeral so that you do know oh that's what we saw earlier. That's that's the biggest um uh push it gives the viewer in terms of making sense of what they're watching. It doesn't apart from that there's not much um there's very little concern uh, in terms of well, what do we, what do we want the audience to be thinking or feeling at this point. Um it, it in terms of deliberately manipulating someone to make sure everybody is is getting it at the exact moment, it's not a not to criticize M Night Shyamalan. I like his films, but it isn't it isn't one of those puzzle box steel trap click everything clicks. It's not like that. Yeah,
0: and like you said about the sort of the scene with him, like nearly falling to his death in the church where there's no setup to sort of the suspense for that. It's similar, like with the two psychic old ladies. They're not. There's no shots of them looking evil and things like that. There's no. I mean,
1: the other yeah, there is like one cutaway to them just laughing for no reason. Oh, that's back. true. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so it sort of does do that. We sort of repeats then... when he's cl- when he's falling, don't they? When he's climbing yeah. up, there's sort of like these insert shots of them sort of cackling a bit. But yeah, you know.
1: but then there's no bit where it explains. Oh, they were actually reading the Bino or something. <laughs> so we set it up to make it look like they were scary, but they in fact were not scary. So why they what they were laughing at? We're left will never know what it was. Yeah, I
0: guess I, yeah, I forgot about that scene. Yeah. Yeah, very true. But
1: but so I suppose that does work uh, as a bit of um, a bit of deliberate setup. But it doesn't. But it doesn't tie in neatly to anything else. It's just two women standing in a room laughing. It's very (laughs) odd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've spoken quite a bit about. Don't look now. What other sort?
0: You were saying you're into the more sort of gothic and sort of ghost sort of horror. What other sort of uh, things would
1: you uh, would you be into? uh, They do not. They don't translate that well to film. Uh, I mm. think, like I do, I really like M.R. James. Um, I like. Uh, well, I was going to say I like Lovecraft. I don't like Lovecraft. I like <laughs> some of his stories. I don't like his writing or personality.
0: I always say with H. B. Lovecraft, he's got br- amazing ideas. Like the, the what he came up with is genius. Just yeah. not the best writer or person. His, his prose
1: and opinions <laughs> yeah. could use a yeah. little work. Yeah. Um, at, on a similar level, I don't mind uh, a bit of Edgar Allan Poe as well. Mm. Uh, opinions notwithstanding, mm. uh, prose bit better than Lovecraft's, but you know. Yeah. Um I like I like Arthur Macken's uh sort of eerie stories, um you know, his sort of uh Welsh sort of early Christian, pagan infused mystical stuff. Uh and he was also a conservative. Do I like any any <laughs> other, can can you be left wing and uh, and write good ghost stories? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but for some reason, uh, I think a lot of you know, like a lot of the BBC used to adapt Mr. Um, James' short stories at Christmas, mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Gatiss has done a few since then. Um, and uh, a, a lot of those, I think, probably fall into a similar area to "Don't Look Now," in as much as it's probably quite easy to laugh at them rather than be scared by them, unless you're prepared to sort of uh, put your sort of self-conscious teenage brain to one side and. Just accept them for what they are. You know, yeah, I th- grainy, think it's sixteen mm a... film yeah. stock and all.
0: Quite a hard thing to translate onto film. I think is um, go like those sort of ghost stories, especially like Lovecraft as well. Is like the idea of Lovecraft is that you're not supposed to be able to indescribable things.
1: Yeah, it's the essence of yeah. the gothic horror is always yeah. impossible to put into words, and mm. the, and whereas film is specific and concrete. Yeah, because you you, you either see a thing or you don't, and. and and maybe that's what uh, the, the, the structural shenanigans of Don't, of Don't Look Now do, which is that they, they make you, they put you on shaky ground when it comes to the, the solid certainty of seeing a thing in a film. There's an interesting parallel in um, one of Hitchcock's early films, Stage Fright, I think it is, um, uh, I'm going to spoil Stage Fright as well. But it's from 1950s. Like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, There's got to be a cut off somewhere where you can at spoil At some films, point, you? you're going to have to watch a yeah. film. Right. <laughs> uh, in Stage Fright, um, we're, we're investigating a crime and uh, we we hear a flashback from someone. And in fact, we see a flashback, fairly standard film device. We see what happened when the the murder occurred. And then at the end of the film, it turns out that the person who told us that was lying and was actually responsible for the murder. Now, that is a pretty standard device these days audiences at the time hated it Mm. because they didn't accept that you could see something on screen that hadn't happened so they the convention hadn't been established and audiences just wouldn't have it no we saw it happen so you've cheated that's against the rules and it's not against the rules now and i think that's really interesting yeah that is yeah that is interesting like again now we understand you can you know kurosawa uh, onwards we understand that you can just shoot the same thing multiple times (laughs) And we accept that 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 character's point of view, and that what we're seeing on screen isn't the concrete reality, but is subjective in some way.
0: Yeah, well, they call the un- unreliable narrator sort of thing, isn't it? It's uh... yeah.
1: Whereas, and and I guess the unreliable narrator or unre- unreliable reality has an uncomfortable relationship with film because it seems concrete and certain in a way that, that language doesn't.
0: Yeah, definitely, and like like you said, when it's. If you see something happen, it's different to reading it happen. If that makes sense, so if you see yeah. something happen in front of you, then that in your brain processes that as that's happened.
1: Yeah, and and you know the the, the, the film school maxims of show don't tell and that sort mm. of thing. And and if you you know uh, I I went to film school and I've written sh- short scripts and I've made bad films and um and you you do learn that if characters say things, people don't listen. But if you show people things, they remember. So, the, you know, the if you want people to remember something, it needs to be on screen, and someone needs to comment. It needs to do yeah. something, and people need to comment on it, because otherwise, it, we just we just process it in a different way. It, it just it doesn't register in the same way.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's the thing where people, if they the normal a
1: common complaint about some
0: films is people say, "Oh, it was a bit talky." Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. but because which, and I, I don't. I don't mind a little bit of talking as uh, as you know. But um but this is this film is not a talk it is not a very talky film. Well, it's definitely a very it's definitely a visual film, isn't it? It's definitely like all about the visuals and the editing. Don't Yeah, it which melts. is not to say that it looks nice uh, No, almost, but it's yeah. But it is a visual film.
0: Yeah, it tells the story through visuals rather than like dialogue, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Hmm. And uh, and uh, uh, uh you know, Julie Christie's performance is very good, I think. Um, although, uh, perhaps I, I don't know if it's somewhat dated for the to the era, the style of performance, or if it's just that she was in every film for about a five <laughs> yeah. year period, then, <laughs> and so that's why it's reminiscent of lots of other films mm. in terms of her performance. But the um, but perhaps she 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 is another thing that's quite familiar in horror, which is the uh, the the woman who is being medicated but might not be crazy and maybe is experiencing something. But I do think it's interesting the way the film sort of divides that between John and her. It's not the conventional; she's seeing something which we know to be real, and he doesn't believe it. He's the, he's skeptical and won't believe it. But we know she's right. There's, there's never that point where we have that certainty that you would expect in that kind of story.
0: Yeah, *Rosemary's Baby* is the film that comes to mind with that sort of thing, where the yeah, idea is example, that yeah. everyone make you know she's everyone makes her feel like she's going crazy, basically. Which is yeah, again, that's a common thing in horror, it, isn't it? it? Yeah,
1: and it wouldn't make any sense to do *Rosemary's Baby* with an equal weighting on her point of view and the husband's point of <laughs> no, view. No. that wouldn't. That would be madness. <laughs> yeah. and it, and it's it's really not like that. Uh, *Rosemary's*, mm. uh, uh, I also I watched the um, *The Exorcist* for the first time recently, and it's oh, really? Remarkably good. Yeah, um, I was shocked.
0: I think again, I'm a I'm a, obviously you may have guessed from this podcast, I'm a big horror fan. But I would say for me, *The Exorcist* is probably the greatest film ever made.
1: It is. It's it certainly. A, it's certainly more more of a thrill ride than Don't Look Now, but it has a similar <laughs> quality of. Um, if uh, coming into it, I was thinking, okay, can't wait for to see little girl's head turn around mm-hmm. and to hear one line about. Uh, well, I won't say it on your podcast, <laughs> but you know, you know which line I mean. Yeah. So the things I knew were going to come, not realizing also even that that line about his mother in hell mm. is uh, is particularly significant because the character's mother just died. Mm very recently and he's grieving um so the the all of the stuff i was expecting to see comes about 60 minutes later than i thought it was going to happen and to begin with we're in uh, palestine or somewhere at the Uh, start or is it or cairo iraq i think iraq yeah not not one of those countries with (laughs) dust and sand i don't know sorry apologies (laughs) to the entire middle east uh, and north africa for not knowing the difference um (laughs) Yeah so it was, uh, and so it's it's full of structural choices uh, and narrative choices which feel which make it feel like the sort of the authentic original of a, a piece of a piece of authentic original horror like the um uh, like the way the original version of Dracula has loads of stuff nobody ever puts in any of the films <laughs> but but I really like um yeah. but almost never makes it into the film like the fact that um like in so many versions of Dracula castle dracula and carfax abbey are the same place sort of they don't really bother with him moving castles (laughs) halfway through because that's that's like oh we're not building two sets can we just have him (laughs) stay in the same castle and yeah and it's uh it's full of unexpected weirdness and slowness and creeping dread which is what i was expecting at all
0: yeah i think with the exorcist and don't look now they're commonly put on like the scariest films ever made list
1: Mm. And I think if you go neither into neither of them are that frightening. I mean, if you're not a no. Catholic, I don't see what the Exorcist. Yeah, well, the the Exorcist. You. Um, have
0: you ever read the novel, The Exorcist? Ever... No, I haven't. You okay. should. It's amazing. And um, again, the writer William Peter Blatty, as um, a devout Catholic, which is obvious from the film, really, because that's a film about Catholicism winning, isn't there's, it? Really, there's the only Exorcist. two kinds: there's devout Catholics and there's sinners. <laughs> well, yeah, surely, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, and again, not he's not the sort of the best politics in the world. Um, William Peter Blatty but mm. amazing writer have you ever seen any of the films he directed um, no no. Uh, so he directed so. um, oh, what's it called The Ninth Configuration which is technically a sequel I mean, to The Exorcist because that's it's that's the
1: kind of title that I like that sounds like, that <laughs> yeah. sounds like a point and click adventure
0: because he was a, um, a comedy writer before he wrote The Exorcist he, he wrote one of the Pink Panther films William Peter Blatty oh which um, one I can't remember. Hmm. One of um, the good ones? One. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I can't remember now. I could be wrong. But mother yeah, mother
1: cucks in, <laughs> yeah. in L. In L? In L. What's L? The room. That's the room joke from the Big Panther. Carry on, get on with the
0: broadcast. Sorry, it would be interesting to find out if the Exist was originally a uh, was written originally as a a Cluzo film. But uh, yeah, they couldn't get Peter Sellers for it. So. <laughs> no, uh, changed a little bit. Um, no, but he yeah, the knife configuration. It's, do you remember the scene in the Exist where the they're having a party in the house and there's the astronaut there, and she comes down mm-hmm. and says, "You're going to die up there," and yeah, uh, pisses everywhere. Well, her that that astronaut is in the ninth configuration. Oh, nice. So it's about him... So the last character I thought was going to get Yeah, 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 yeah. His own The, the uh, Exorcist cinematic <laughs> universe. Um, it's like
1: if the Hotelier from Don't Look Now got a <laughs> mini-series. I would watch
0: that, though. That's the problem. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's about... It's like in a sort of an insane asylum, basically, for, for war veterans and things. And it's, mm. it's, it's very funny and very weird. It's not a horror film. But then he also directed The Exorcist 3, which again, skip the Exist 2, that film's terrible. Um, okay. The Exist 3 is amazing. The Exist 3 is one of my favourite films ever made. Um, they changed it a bit because they added, like, there's a, the director's cut and then they, they, the sort of theatrical one, they added an exorcism scene. It wasn't really an, ex, an exorcism in it the orig- originally <laughs> but obviously That's the producers was you, like when you finish the film you go jesus I
1: forgot sorry for taking the lord's name in vain but yeah. we forgot to put an exorcism yeah. in the exorcist but um so the
0: it's a sort of spin-off story of you know the detective kinderman mm. in the exist so it's him and he's pl- played by George C Scott in the uh, exorcist 3 ah, brilliant. George yeah. C. and uh, he doesn't get a football in the groin sadly no. for simpson's fan. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> he had played against Peter Sellers, so you can see they were working their yeah, way towards there Peter
0: Sellers. <laughs> That's it. And he, but he's like, it's such a good performance from him in that. It's uh, yeah, I can't recommend The Exist three enough. If you've only recently seen The Exist as well, don't worry about Exist no, two. I... Exist two may be worth watching just because it's a strange film. It's directed by John Borman, and it's sort of like so. I I don't know if it was before Deliverance or after. It must have been after Deliverance. Um, but obviously, he made this big sort of success, and then he made The Exorcist uh, two. And um, what's that film he did with Sean Connery, Zardaz or something? <laughs> These two oh, yeah, like uh, uh, famous uh, flops, specific. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of just interesting to see that someone who was such a revered director make this sort of crummy sequel to like the greatest film ever made. Mm. Yeah. But Exist Three is uh, shockingly good, like, and you wouldn't you wouldn't think a sequel to the Exist would be as good as it is, but because it's a different film, it's not really. The only relation to the Exist is Kinderman and the fact they've sort of shoehorned a bit of Exist
1: stuff in there. That's yeah.
0: interesting. That's a yeah, a strong recommend. There's a
1: And of course Don't Look Now was was itself uh, a, a really weird sequel to um Look Who's Talking, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was Look Who's Talking, then Don't Look Now then Don't Look Who's Talking Now.
0: Yeah, it was um Very a bit where Bruce odd. Willis does the voice of the baby in it it was a Yeah, bit, really yeah. weird.
1: Sort of shift in tone, I think. <laughs> yeah. as it went along.
0: <laughs> John Travolta really, uh, really trying hard to make the best <laughs> of his career before yeah, before the, Tarantino sort of got him dwarf character. <laughs> Sadly, I would watch that crossover film. That's, um... <laughs> it's bad. I remember um, again, totally off topic of horror, but they had all they had the first two *Look Who's Talking* films on Netflix a little while ago, and for some reason, just decided to watch them both back to back.
1: <laughs> and do do you find do they have loads of brilliant little sort of bits of serendipity where they cleverly we- um, relate to each other and more? if there was it was a lot more subtle than don't look now
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> might've gone over
0: my head <laughs>
1: uh, yes so um so that I guess that concludes, with, uh, uh, that concludes my thoughts on the art films Don't Look Now and Look Who's Talking. <laughs>
0: now, that is definitely a double bill that needs to be put on somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, get out of here, wicker man. <laughs> Should I plug something? Is that... If, you, if you, you're more than welcome to. Uh, well, if you'd like to hear me talk about things that aren't horror films but are sometimes spooky, I have a podcast called Lawmen, spelled L-O-R-E-M-E-N, uh, where I and James Shakeshaft, who is another person, talk about the folklore of the British Isles and beyond uh, and and rate it according to our arbitrary rating system. <laughs> uh, we give things very random scores and a listener just sent us a spreadsheet uh, where she had been keeping track of all the scores that we have. And it is embarrassingly unscientific.
0: Back <laughs> That's, well I imagine there's a lot of like a lot of horror sort of stuff in that though, We're talking about like oh, folklore and uh, yeah.
1: oh witches, skeletons, mm. ghosts, uh oh, uh oh a big dog full of coins falls out of someone's <laughs> ceiling. Terrifying stuff. Wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Ghost of a Duck was the first one. That
0: yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. That sounds yeah. What could be scarier than that?
1: <laughs> Oh well, fo- follow me on Twitter at Mister A B K M um, I S T E R A B K, and I'll uh, find me on YouTube where I do um, I do funny sketches. Although, as uh, as I get uh, commenters on YouTube keep telling me, some people don't think they're funny. <laughs> um, I, no, actually, I got a really weird one yesterday where uh, uh, a guy said. Um, I really think you need to start working with a writer because um, the jokes in this simply aren't funny. However, you're very hilarious. So when you say it, it's funny, but it shouldn't be. was like, is that... I don't, think it... I don't think any of that is true. But... That's very much a backhanded compliment. But also I think my writing is okay. I don't... But, like... That is a weirdly
0: backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> They're great, the, those little sketches you do. I think the, the production values of them are better than most of the horror films I watch, to be fair. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh, as as a comedy writer, what you really want is people to compliment the lighting that's happened all the time. <laughs> oh look look at the backlight on that joke
0: mm. <laughs> and, but, and they are obviously very funny as well just, that's the, Back, the most yeah, important they're alright they're okay <laughs> so get another writer involved <laughs> well yeah yeah the way you say it's funny
1: at least that's <laughs> yeah, yeah as, if, as if I'm just going out there making just noises <laughs> right, in a funny way to be fair that fact, is some sketches you easy. see on YouTube if it were that easy yeah <laughs> great
0: Lovely. well fair thank you very much for that that was a, that was a great chat